Welcome back, Karina. Thank you for having me back. I'm no, excited I'm, to be here. We uh, didn't get to it all, and, and you're fun to talk to. You, you, you caught me off guard with a statistic just in the closing minutes of our first uh, get-together. You said that uh, you're able to get the work done with the help of thousands of volunteers. That's mind-blowing to me. Yes. Um, so what happens? Do people knock on your door and go, you know what, I've always wanted to, to help out. I hear that you guys need help. What's that? Is that how we're... What, do, yeah, do you recruit in some them? instances, we, we do just have people walk in and say, hey, I'd like to volunteer. What are the opportunities here? And... You know, we connect them to our volunteer coordinator. Um, other, a lot of our volunteers are long time through faith groups. We are the interfaith community shelter because we are founded by different faith groups. And we've always said we, we have from A to Z or the Adventist to the Zen Buddhist that will come in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And they'll come in and, and you, they'll do, they'll host a night where they come in, cook and serve dinner. We have our crew of volunteers who, Go do during resource days and cook lunch. And then, yeah, it's it's an array of, of volunteers from we've had the uh, Santa Fe High football team. You are uh, kidding me. Come that out is, and volunteer oh, different great. youth groups. It's amazing. It really is um, because we have such a small crew. We wouldn't be able to do it without our volunteers. How is that? What's the reaction like from from your guests when when uh, a football team comes in or a I think it's really yeah. cool. They, yeah, they. I, I think they recognize that that you know it's they're volunteering. Our hardcore like every resource day or you know year round volunteers. They're amazing. They know our guests. Our guests know them usually by name, and it's it's really cool to see. Like you really, it is a community where you get to know these people. Um, we also offer community service, obviously, but it's it's just really cool to see how many people are coming in, giving of their time. You know, and skill sets, because we have uh, our artist group that comes in, you know, they're giving up their time. So it's really it's really cool to see how many people are, are willing to volunteer. Mind blown. That yes. is that's great. You know what? I'm, I'm jumping around here, but you you covered so much ground. Uh, I come from a military family. Both parents, actually. Oh, wow. uh, dad was Army Air Corps and then Air Force. Mom was in the Army. My oldest half brother served in Vietnam. My older brother, just seven years older than me, caught the tail end of the Vietnam era, but he didn't serve in Vietnam, but he was in the army. And so I've, I've grown surrounded by military folks. You said that you've got, I think, somebody that handles just veterans affairs there at Pete's Place. Did I, am I misquoting there? What's No, that's correct. We um, The Goodwill does VA services case management. And they'll come out um, once or twice a month to, to engage any homeless veterans to try to connect to services. And then... Um, I know they have funding for housing as well for our veterans. When a person finishes their service for the U.S. Armed Services and, uh, and they get, say, an honorary discharge and you're on your way, what, what are they left with? Do they have health insurance? Do they have anything? I do believe, like, when you're active military, there's insurance, and then there's a different one when you're, when you're no longer – you're inactive with the military or a veteran. I think the challenge that we see as veterans – who have a lot of trauma, who have mental illness, whether or not that came from serving um, or, you know, being in a war or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, or if that was already kind of 
underneath the surface, you know, if, if there's childhood trauma, some behavior stuff around it that you start to see. But the military, you know, it's so regimented, I guess, in how they function. You don't really start to see it until it rears its ugly head like later on, um, where where I think it just starts to pile up or layer Especially for those who serve during a war. In a hot zone, yeah. Yeah, and it's difficult to see. And I don't know, I really can't speak to whether or not they do any kind of assessment. I see. So are are we talking about uh, folks in their 20s and 30s typically that are? No, usually our veterans are, are older. So and and the other thing is, like, to my understanding, and I'm sure that's probably changed a little bit, like, but if you're dishonorably discharged, you you don't get benefits. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and that's a bummer because if somebody I don't I don't know why exactly people get dishonorably discharged. I'm assuming a lot of it's around behavior and and certain things. And in my mind, I'm wondering if that's just like, you know, something that would have happened anyways. But now you have somebody who served actively went to war at least a a place where you witness or experience certain things and then it's just exacerbated and a lot of you know veterans in my opinion self-medicate um you know to kind of deal with that and it's it's just been that's as old as time exactly yeah and you know we called it different things depending on what era shell shock um what it was battle it? fatigue battle fatigue i think that's world war ii maybe when that yeah came. it goes back i mean it was happening during civil war i forgot what they called it as well oh. so they recognized that there was a change when people you know came back from war i think things are changing for the better but there's still a lot of work to be done there for our veterans i sure see uh, a lot of signs you know when, when i'm at one of the intersections where people congregate to ask drivers for for money uh, almost more than half of them probably say homeless vet i wish we could do better but you're you're you know what you guys are lighting a candle no no question about it and i assume alcoholism and drug addiction is a big ingredient in absolutely in this story it really is and right now at, across the nation the fentanyl crisis and now you're seeing the zombie drug part where they're mixing xylazine in the fentanyl. You lost me. Zombie what? They're calling it the zombie drug. It's it's a mix of you have the fentanyl, the blue pills, but within that they're mixing. Um, I, I believe it's like a horse tranquilizer called xylazine. Um, part of what it's doing is not even at the injection site, but they're, people are developing like wounds or sores and it can get really infected. And I, I think in other areas of the country, people are even losing limbs. I don't know that we've tested positive for it here in Santa Fe. I don't even know how they, they're they testing, you know, the samples. To, to see what people are high on? Is that what you oh, mean? To see yeah. if, if, if it's in the fentanyl because it's mixed into the fentanyl. And for us at the shelter, the big education piece has been xylazine is not an opiate. So it's not going to respond to Narcan or Naloxone right. when you try to do an overdose reversal. For us, it's just ed- educating the staff of like, if we've dosed them a couple times and we know that they're breathing, don't keep dosing them. Because if it's xylazine, they're still going to be tranquilized from the xylazine. But as long as they're breathing, that's the big piece for us. And then, of course, keeping an eye out for anybody who does develop like infections or or sores or open wounds on their arms or legs that report it to us. And for us, it's in coordinating with healthcare for the homeless or hospital. I'm going to hit the pause button and back up. Okay. Because I know, uh, I know two thirds of what, what you just said, because I had some training here <laughs> yeah. at the friendship club, but I want to, I want to set the table because not everybody's had uh, any training at all. And I'm, I got to tell you a, uh, 
it wasn't long ago I'd never heard the word fentanyl. I didn't know what you guys were talking about that work in the field and face yeah. the, the effects of it every day. Um, in in my youth, <laughs> <laughs> we had we had pretty much <laughs> the holy trinity: uh, booze, weed, and cocaine. That was kind of the menu. And now it's it's the why you know it's things are different. And the I work in a community center that's centered around recovery. And so fentanyl has moved itself into our world and we keep Narcan at our coffee counter. Narcan is a nasal spray about like Afrin that, that, uh, if someone's overdosing on a, on a opiate, um, it can save their life. And it's very benign. Absolutely. Doesn't, it doesn't have any after effects. I will say if you're looking for instructions on this, Administer the dose and then stand back. It can be like waking up a rattlesnake. Um, and, and there's a lot more to it, but that's that's the basis of it. So is fentanyl always a uh, prescription thing that somebody's gotten a hold of one way or the other? Is it Are they are they cooking it in bathtubs these days? What's the no, story? No, it's, it's being cooked in, and pressed. Is in, that in, right? Yeah, it's not. It, yeah, it's not like a, a – I think it's made to look like a blue pill to, to mimic oxycodone or oxycontin. Um, and that's that's how it kind of started where, the, you know, there for a while we had these pill mills and, and prescribing getting out of hand with the oxycodone. Is, is pill mill an illicit thing or is that like Pfizer? What's a, what's a pill mill? So it used to be um, where we had I'm sure we had them here in New Mexico, but I know it was also a national thing where we had clinics that were just basically prescribing left and right. There was no checks and balances. So they were just prescribing left and right. And so many people got addicted. Right. And when changes were made, like a prescription monitoring program and stuff like that, it really cut back on that because you can't just prescribe left and right. You're really um, there's a checks and balances there where they're making sure physicians are prescribing more appropriately for for opiates and painkillers. The problem with that is you left people addicted and now they were scrambling, like especially with the withdrawal. It's it's not an easy one. Just the thought have people scrambling to to get, you know, back then the transition became heroin. So you went from getting Oxycontin or Oxycodone. If you were cut from, off from there, the doctor because, yeah, because once of the doc some cut you off, injury or something, you hit the street, found somebody. And uh-huh. that's how so many people got addicted. And now they they we call them the blues or the little blue pills um, are what people are smoking. They don't ingest it. They they smoke it off of a strip of foil. I, I see that paraphernalia out in our parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did. I didn't honestly know what you just said. So, and that that's because it, it hits harder if they smoke it than if they. Yeah, they don't it, have you know. to. Well, ingest it. Then it has to go. Th- the stomach breaks it down by the time it gets into the system. And it's really not. I don't think it's even meant to be ingested. It is really, I think, meant to be smoked. I'm sure some people also shoot up what we see most commonly um, around the shelter and really around town, sadly. Yeah. When you see somebody with a blanket or a jacket over their head, there's a good chance they're smoking under there. I, I know that for the first time <laughs> in my memory, I see it gas stations and Places like that, signs, you know, nice, snazzy signs at the trash can. Don't throw your needles in here. I mean, it's become. And and needles are, I mean, they still, people are still using and, and intravenously. But, you know, even um, our harm reduction programs have kind of had to switch things up again a bit because so many people are just smoking the pills. They're not injecting. I mean, the, the flip side to that, the silver lining, I guess, is that there's not as many um, 
HIV or Hep C because of the the shared needles isn't happening as as frequently as it once did. So now it's just foils and and the pills. So harm reduction, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, that's a, that's a new that's a that's a thing I hadn't heard until fairly recently. Because I'm in recovery and and uh, in my world, you're clean and sober, and um, that's not. Not everybody's going to get sober in this in this world. Yeah. A lot of people are going to continue to get high or get drunk. That's the way of the world. And so harm reduction is sort of a non-judgmental way of saying, all right, well, if you absolutely have to get high it, on opiates, here's some stuff you might want to know. And can we help? Is that how would yes, you Yes, absolutely. Okay. You pretty much know it. Because like, if you think about it, even wearing a seatbelt is harm reduction. The idea with harm reduction is you're reducing the likelihood of getting injured or causing harm. Um, to yourself, really, and others. But the for harm reduction in recovery or in social services is really reducing initially the focus of reducing communicable diseases between people who are shooting up. And most people know it is at the needle exchange. Um, now it's kind of transformed a little bit. Be- again, we're not seeing as many people shooting up. So um, my understanding is some wow. harm reduction has actually switched to handing out heavy duty foil. And I actually needed them to educate me because I was like, how is that harm reduction? And they're like, when it's a thin, cheaper piece of foil, they're like, it's coated. And it's when they smoke off of it, they're inhaling the coating, which really okay. damages the lungs. Although smoking off a of foil, I'm sure is already damaging lungs. But somehow well, a heavy yeah, duty foil reducing how much harm it does to the lungs. It's weird. <laughs> It's yeah. different. Sidetrack. I, I met a judge uh, in Santa Monica, and we were we were picking his brain and asking him questions. And somebody, he was a real nice guy. He was taking all comers. Somebody said, "What what percentage of cases that cross your desk in a criminal courtroom in Santa Monica is big big suburb of LA, huge suburb of LA? What percentage of them are drug and alcohol related?" And he he had to think. Oh, uh, hmm. Well. Directly or indirectly, a hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. That's. <laughs> I actually didn't know that. I thought some sober people robbed banks or whatever. <laughs> that doesn't seem to to work that way. Every time you talk, I have more questions than I have answers. But I did want to ask about. We're coming off as we're recording here, um, for the first time since spring of twenty. Um, you don't have to wear a mask in any place. I went, I went in for a doctor's checkup recently and almost no one was wearing masks inside the hospital. But three years ago we were in, gosh, we were spraying doorknobs and getting groceries left on our garage for two or three days before we brought them in and yep. everything under the sun. Our, our kid did uh, home distance learning. Yes. Uh, uh, try that with a first grader, put him in front of a <laughs> I computer. I can't imagine. Oh, oh, it was, it was lovely. So how did, how did this strange period the early 2020s affect y'all's life there at the homeless shelter, the fentanyl situation. Did are you able to parse out what what was made worse by by the? So I think COVID. mental health was was you know made worse by COVID because people isolated. That's, the goal was stay physically healthy. The problem yep. is then the the mind suffered right, um, and and that. That was a hard for for us to kind of lower our senses to for social distancing. There was we just lost that community vibe because, you know, you you were being really mindful and cautious around the COVID restrictions, 
But then you lose that sense of community. And we're still trying to build that back, actually. So just, I think, a month or two ago, we were still mandating masks. We still uh, do weekly testing. Um, we're for still COVID. Yes. And we uh-huh. still have people who test positive and we'll oh, yeah. put them up for quarantine. But during that time, it was really difficult. We put a number of people in hotels, um, some at the – a new shelter that was formed essentially due to COVID, the old uh, – Santa Fe College or Santa Fe University of Art and Design campus, They that is the Midtown Emergency Shelter. Right. And that was a, a COVID response shelter because you were able to put people in dorms and they had their own space. And the whole idea was that people were kind of keeping their distance from each other. And um, unfortunately, I think it it was a detriment to a lot of people's mental made health. made me goofy. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, now that you've said, I want to step into an area I don't know anything about. Um, there are countries in Europe that have a more relaxed uh, um, drug law situation. And if you're an addict for heroin, um, you can just go get it. The, part of their uh, experience and the way they advocate for it is at least you're having to go look a doctor in the eye once in a while and have a conversation of some sort with them, as opposed to other countries where you're cr- crawling around alleys and stealing car radios, if that's still a thing to to, to get high. The it fact limited that- your ability to look your uh, guests in the eye and say, how are you doing? Just just even that is a big impact, right? Oh, absolutely. I don't know if I mentioned that here or somewhere else where I had a volunteer, I didn't know he had a mustache <laughs> for like almost a oh, year because he had a mask on. We right, all wore masks. Right. And I saw him at a volunteer celebration. I was like, you have a mustache? And he's like, I've always had one for years. And I was like, I had no idea. And- I, I didn't imagine you with a mustache. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, I had, yeah. You you kind of lost. You know, yeah. you recognize people, but at the same time, you didn't. Once or twice, I had somebody stand back. And go, can I see you? Pull off your mask. I just want to see your face because <laughs> we'd had three hundred conversations. They'd never seen me from the and and uh, I think my iPhone now recognizes you if you have a mask on. I think Interesting. They, uh, <laughs> these are high high quality problems I've got. Um, you know what? We've got a question from a listener. Awesome. Good morning. This is Mary, and I have a question. If people wanted to bring by food items, clothing items, um, self-care items to this Pete's place, would that be something that would be accepted or what's required to drop off items? Some people prefer to give physical items versus monetary donations. Oh, a great question. Uh, so we do accept donations. We pretty much are open whenever people want to donate. It can be clothing items, Shoes, bedding stuff, blankets. We don't really take appliances, but we will. I don't say because I coordinate with the other shelters and other programs that if we get something in, you know, we'll try to get it. If it's you, not something that we do use. Do you mean a foreman grill or a refrigerator? What are we talking <laughs> Well, it can be from anything. We've had people okay. like, here's a toaster or, I you see. know. So we'll coordinate with the other programs who are putting people up in housing and be like, hey, does this person need a toaster? Stuff like that. But typically, most commonly for us. Um, it's, you know, clothing items, um, some hygiene. Uh, when we, we do accept food, we'll get calls from people like, hey, we were just at this like party or some sort of event. The only thing there is we can't obviously accept food that's been half or opened or half eaten, stuff like that. But beyond that, I'm open to accepting anything because like I said, I can coordinate with other programs if they need it or if we can utilize it even better. Hmm. And it also gets somebody walking in your front door that might otherwise have been like me, just drives by it and go, oh, there's that place where they yes. do that stuff. And we give out thousands of, of clothing and hygiene and different items every month. 
because people do not have where to launder, where to store. So it's a little like wear it for a day or two, go sign up to shower, get some more clothes. And typically we see a lot of clothes in the trash because um, people don't have anywhere to store it or to launder. And that's, you know, something we're, we're hoping to address, but we recognize it. And that's why we go through thousands of items every month. I have a question. It says in your website that uh, you put folks' dogs up overnight while they catch sleep. What's we give me, do. Give me, give me we some accept details everyone, <laughs> and even the doggies, the kitties. Um, you know, we have a kennel. Most people don't know that. We recognize that for a lot of shelters, having an, a pet. Uh, you know, becomes a barrier. It's terrible. Yeah. What do you do with your dog? I can't, I can't stop at a grocery store. You know, yeah. it's, again, I'm not trying to compare my problems, <laughs> but I happen to be a dog nut. I've got, a, I've got a Velcro dog and, but I don't take him into the grocery store. It would never, it would never occur to me. Yeah. If I, if I found myself needing help from you guys and I had my dog, that's, it's a super real thing. What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. And for us, it's pets. Cause you know, service animals legally accepted everywhere. But what the are service, service an- animals that aren't dogs? We got an iguana. What are <laughs> no, we talking? No, no, I'm just talking about service animals in in general. Like for those individuals, we actually let the animal stay in the dormitory with people. Whereas, the, right, because the, they're super well behaved and well, they're trained. Yeah, yeah, I, a yeah, real yeah. service animal performs a task. That's right. And you're right. It's just a dog. But um, typically, <laughs> I've not seen another animal that performs a task. But I'm sure Falcon. one day I will. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want a pet falcon. Uh, yeah, that alerts me to something. Or oh, yeah, go go get me a cookie in the middle of the night. I'm busy. <laughs> that is what you call an emotional support animal. Uh-huh. They know. And yeah, most people don't realize that emotional support animals aren't here in the state of New Mexico, aren't service animals. Correct. So for us, that was why we wanted to um, create a kennel. We did. And it's it's really neat. It's really nice. Um, we do have quite a bit of guests with with pets. So it's it's been for us it's been really helpful you, to provide you dog, that. Do you have dog food? We get donated dog food, cat food. If we have if we don't have enough pets that are staying with us and we have, you know, a lot of food, we'll then coordinate with like Food Depot or someone else or uh there's a street animal project. She's going to kill me. I don't remember her name, but amazing woman who's out there. She helps coordinate with appointments and shots for for the pets and Fantastic. food. So we all collaborate to make sure that the pets are okay. And typically they are. Most people, not most, but some people are under the impression that homeless people use it as a ploy to get like panhandling money and stuff. And the reality is a lot of our guests are like, hey, if it wasn't for my dog, I probably would have already killed myself. But I don't know where to leave. I don't want to leave my baby alone, you know, for babies. So a lot, and we've been told that a couple times, and I've also heard it in different different places, different ways, but it's basically the same thing, that that's my best friend, and you I'm holding on for that friend. You bet. Oh, wow. Well, what am I not thinking to ask? What what <laughs> you, you got volunteers coming in going, hey, I, I got, uh, you know, a few hours to, to kill. How can I, how can I help you? What do you what do you say to a newbie that that uh, they don't already know? Interesting. Um, I think a lot of it's just really important to note, I guess, is um, I've had volunteers who are like, oh, I'm about to change lives. They're going to be so grateful. And, you know, for our guests, it's an everyday just situation for them. So while you're doing a good deed, you're not getting a whole lot of praise for it. And just being mindful of that, that if you're going into it. To volunteer, to have somebody, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for saving my life. Just get over it because it's not, you know, their priority is in there to get clothes, get a shower, get some food. 
And regardless of who there, who's there, they're going to do that. So occasionally that happens. And then just reminding guests, too, that uh, if there's any kind of stuff that comes up to get a staff member and don't feel like you need to step in and, and handle it. Gotcha. Well, I, I, I stand in awe. You rock. And you will be <laughs> coming back for, for another episode oh. because we just uh, – we love having you here, Karina. Absolutely. Thank, thank you for what you're doing out there in the world. No, yeah. And I do, again, shout out like the volunteers because I, I love that you brought that up. It's such a huge piece. And I don't think people realize how many volunteers we have at Pete's. And it is, I've not come across a lot of nonprofits that have such an uh, an array of volunteers, an army of volunteers to step in, help out. And it's it's just been a blessing. So uh, for us, you know, it, and, and talking about, you know, donations, whether it's clothing, we do accept cash. I got to throw that out sure. there. But, but you know, that's the if gift it's, no one returns. If it's and, and I have to say it because we were talking about the other day, like men do not clean out their closet as often as women do. But, Ouch. But we're really. Yeah. Right now we're really le- are, needing a lot of men's clothes. So we're like, hey, guys, clean out your closets. And, are, are you saying that my 31 inch waist <laughs> jeans are uh, <laughs> Time to wake up from that dream. All right. Uh, I got you the zero pants shirt. (laughs) I'm going to go look through my closet. You did it. We're we're, out of here. Thanks a million. Sounds good. Thank you so much. 